This hearing of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee will come to order. Today, the committee will consider the nominations of seven experienced uh, career for foreign service officers to be U.S. ambassadors to African nations. In the first panel, we'll get to meet the ambassador nominees to Djibouti, uh, Cameroon, and Niger. I was pleased to eat, meet with each of you in my offices, um, you know, earlier or in the couple of weeks prior. Thank you for, for making that effort and coming in. Um, now, while Djibouti faces high unemployment, poor health, and food insecurity concerns, Djibouti has stepped up as a key partner on security, uh, countering violent extremism, regional stability, and humanitarian efforts. The United States has a base in Djibouti. Uh, my brother spent uh, several months there just a couple of years ago. Small country, big base there. Um, has a, the U.S. has a base there. It's located in a country that also hosts uh, a Chinese uh, naval base. Cameroon is facing uh, domestic political strains and regional security threats. It's an important uh, partner in, fight, in the fight against uh, Boko Haram. Cameroon uh, faces serious challenges with democracy and governance, as was evidenced this past weekend when the government attempted to silence uh, political opposition by banning pub public meetings and travel to the region uh, where marches were scheduled to take place. Niger faces uh, explosive population growth uh, that could result in food shortages. Um, I learned in the, the visit to my office that uh, I, I guess the birth rate there is close to seven kids per family. That all sounds like where I grew up, you know. <laughs> that, that, uh, um, well, I'll tell about my ten siblings about that, uh, but but uh, was, that was a, a surprise to hear. Um, this year, Niger has received about 437 million in MCC compact uh, with a compact to combat food insecurity through improved architecture and water or arch uh, agriculture and water access. Although Niger was, um, has uh, increased security threats on its borders, it's continued. Um, it has contributed to peacekeeping operations in other African countries. I want to thank you, each of you for your time and uh, for sharing your expertise. And also a big thank you to family members uh, who are here. I hope that you'll introduce them. With that, I'll turn to Senator Booker for any comments he has. Um, I want to thank uh, the chairman of the subcommittee for his uh, great work and, and really valued partnership. I really want to thank uh, each of you all for being here today and for your years of service uh, to our country. Um, I'm a little frustrated, as I've expressed already in this, uh, in this committee, on the subcommittee as well, uh, about us lacking a coherent um, Africa policy from this administration, uh, especially dealing with some of the worst uh, elements of human suffering, mass human suffering on the planet Earth right now. Food insecurity continues in South Sudan, Nigeria, Somalia, and I would want to take a moment right now uh, just to, take a, to say something about one of the countries that's not represented by ambassadorial candidates here, but that's South Sudan. Uh, this subcommittee, uh, with, the, with the, um, the support uh, and leadership of our chairman, held a hearing in July on the conflict and famine in South Sudan. Uh, I came to the conclusion that despite understandable frustration among witnesses and my colleague, colleagues um, with the leadership in South Sudan, uh, frustrations born uh, from uh, many uh, legitimate uh, reasons, uh, but the U.S. should maintain its leadership and presence there. We can make a difference. 
Uh, I understand now there's a difference in opinion on the committee about how to move forward with a U.S. ambassador to South Sudan, but I strongly, strongly believe that the U.S. should do all it can to ease the horrifying levels of human suffering in the country and work with the international community in a substantive way to bring about an end uh, to the political crisis and to alleviate uh, some of the suffering uh, that is going there that should disturb the conscience of all in humanity. Uh, but it's in that spirit, though, uh, seeing you all before me, uh, that I am eager to ensure that we have solid career service officers, uh, such as you who are nominated with us today, uh, and that you all are placed as quickly as possible and uh, uh, in, in, in the field. You're the leadership, in my opinion, that we need. I want to thank you all for putting yourself forward. Your careers are extraordinary, and the posts that you are being nominated for give you the opportunity uh, to literally save lives, uh, to literally help to influence justice and to bring about the values of democracy and make them real in people's lives. Uh, you are all going to countries that are important to many of our strategic priorities as a nation in Sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, many are very, very tough postings to countries like Cameroon and Mauritania uh, that could either see democratic transitions or could be thrown uh, into political crisis. Uh, if confirmed, many of you all will go to countries uh, that represent uh, uh, critical challenges, uh, and I want to say thank you. Uh, there are questions to be asked, therefore, about how the effects and implications of our defense-led foreign policy is going to manifest itself in these fragile states. Uh, Niger, Cameroon, Mauritania face insecurities from violent extremist organizations such as Boko Haram, Al-Qaeda, uh, Islamic Maghreb, uh, and ISIS, West Africa, which pose threats to the most vulnerable populations in those countries, as well as the stability in the region. However, human rights concerns and abuses by state security forces, as well as to media and civil society crackdowns um, that are justified as national security prerogatives may fuel other grievances and continue the cycle of violence. We must consider how to balance support for security assistance with humanitarian and development aid, especially as we see funding for security sector assistance become a disproportionate piece of the funding pie in Sub-Saharan Africa. We ask uh, that if you're confirmed, you remain in communication with us. Uh, it's critical that we have dialogue uh, between your posts uh, and our subcommittee. And let us know continuously about the challenges you face what's working well and how we can help you all be effective in your job should you be confirmed. I look forward to hearing your testimony today and want to thank you again. And I want to say a special thank you as well to your family, some of whom are here right now. Uh, it is a tremendous sacrifice to make, not only by individuals who are taking on these difficult posts, but as well as the family members who empower uh, their, uh, their, their spouses, their parents, their, their brothers, their sisters, their family members to do this job. So with that, I turn it back over. Uh, to the chairman. Thank you, Senator Booker. Um, with that, we'll turn to our nominees. <coughs> First nominee is Ambassador <coughs> Larry Andre, who's currently Ambassador to Mauritania. Uh, we met three years ago when we went through this before, so it's uh, nice to be here for the second round. Uh, he's an experienced Africa hand, uh, serving in Tanzania, Kenya, Sierra Leone, Ethiopia, Guinea, Cameroon, and Nigeria. Um, in addition, he's been director of the Office of the Special Envoy for Sudan and South Sudan and served as senior advisor to the Bureau of African Affairs. Second nominee is uh, Peter uh, Barlerin, um, who's uh, recently served, uh, served, who most recently served as senior bureau official at State Department's Bureau of African Affairs. 
postings include Zaire, Madagascar, Oslo, Tokyo, Paris, of course, Washington, D.C., and Mali, uh, where he was Deputy Chief of Mission. Our third nominee, Eric Whitaker, most recently was Acting De Deputy Secretary for East African Affairs. Prior assignments have included Chad, Djibouti, Kenya, Sudan, Mozambique, Mali, Ethiopia, and Uganda. We're confident that he has a good understanding of Africa issues. Uh, with that, uh, we'll recognize Mr. Andre. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Booker, uh, distinguished members uh, of the committee, I am honored to come before you as President Trump's nominee uh, to be the next United States Ambassador to the Republic of Djibouti. I am grateful to the President and Secretary Tillerson for their confidence in me. If confirmed, I will work with the committee and the Congress to advance U.S. interests. I am supported here today by my wife, Uruku Andre, uh, by my father, Larry Edward Andre Sr., and uh, by his wife, Claudia Andre. My daughter, uh, Ruhia Rahman Andre, could not attend due to her responsibilities working for an American firm in the renewable energy sector in Kenya. She shares my enthusiasm for all that America and Africa can do together. Mr. Chairman, Undersecretary for Political Affairs Thomas Shannon recently presented the administration's four main policy goals for Africa at the U.S. Institute for Peace. If confirmed, I will lead our team at Embassy Djibouti to further those four goals, advancing peace and security, countering the scourge of terrorism, increasing economic growth and investment, and promoting democracy and good governance. Since 2002, Djibouti has hosted the only enduring U.S. military installation in Africa, Camp Lemonnier. It is a crucial platform for our armed forces to advance security throughout the region. Serving as the headquarters of the Combined Joint Task Force, Horn of Africa, the installation is home to over 4,000 American soldiers, ensuring the long-term viability and maximum operational flexibility of this important security presence is a key priority. If confirmed, I look forward to a highly productive and mutually supportive relationship with the commander of the Combined Joint Task Force. The government of Djibouti counters terrorism beyond its borders by contributing peacekeeping troops to the African Union mission in Somalia in its fight against al-Shabaab. We help train and equip Djibouti's peacekeepers. As for increasing economic growth, the World Economic Forum recently listed Djibouti as the sixth fastest growing economy in the world with a GDP growth rate of 7%. Despite the small size of its market, this growth and Djibouti's strategic position present opportunities for U.S. business. If confirmed, I will lead our embassy team to further those opportunities for U.S. business. Mr. Chairman, members of the committee, uh, Djibouti's security and prosperity gains can best be protected in the long term by strong democratic institutions. To that end, Djiboutians need to develop a more competitive 
transparent, and accountable political system. Next year's legislative elections will give us an opportunity to encourage further progress on key democratic institutions. Having spent my career serving at U.S. embassies in dangerous security environments, I feel deeply the responsibility of an ambassador toward all resident Americans and to all U.S. government employees. If confirmed, I will lead our team in Djibouti to take all necessary measures to promote the security of American citizens and of U.S. government colleagues. Finally, I close with a few words about my preparation for the great responsibility for which you are considering me. My career in Africa began 34 years ago as a fresh out of college Peace Corps volunteer working and living in a small village in West Africa. As a diplomat since 1990, I have focused my career almost exclusively on Africa. As ambassador to Mauritania since September 2014, I lead a highly productive interagency team engaged in advancing specific goals. We live up to our motto, one mission, one team. Mr. Chairman, members of the committee, if confirmed, I will look to you for counsel and support as I seek to build on the achievements of my predecessors and their teams in advancing an American Jabushan partnership based on shared values and shared interests. I welcome any questions you may have. Thank you very much for your kind consideration of my nomination. Thank you. Mr. Bartleran. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Booker, it's an honor to appear before you today as nominated to be the next U.S. Ambassador to the Republic of Cameroon. I thank President Trump and Secretary Tillerson for the trust they've placed in me for nominating me for this position. Thank you to my wife, Ines Rulis Barlerin, who is with me here today, as well as our sons, Sebastian and Maximilian, and our daughter, Ines Alexandra, who are here very much in spirit. I'd also like to recognize my sister, Joan, and other family and friends present in this room and wish my mother and mother-in-law could be present here to have lived to see this day. It's been an honor to have had the opportunity to serve in an interim capacity as senior official in the Bureau of African Affairs for nearly half a year. The people of the Africa Bureau, including these two gentlemen, are an extremely hardworking, dedicated, and mutually supportive family. I cherish their confidence and friendship. Turning to Cameroon, the United States was one of the first to establish diplomatic relations with the country in 1960. Since 1962, nearly 4,000 Peace Corps volunteers have given their all there, and many I've talked to were all transformed by the experience. Cameroon is known as Africa in miniature because of its cultural diversity and because it has nearly all of the many varied geographic features of the entire continent active volcanoes, rainforest jungles teeming with wildlife, broad savannas, and beautiful coastline. Cameroon also faces a number of the same challenges as the rest of Sub-Saharan Africa in terms of health, security, and governance. These challenges are somewhat holding back a country that is as full of potential as any other in Africa. On health, the President's emergency plan for AIDS relief provides treatment, care, and prevention to Cameroonians affected by HIV-AIDS. 
And as a global health security agenda phase one country, Cameroon partners with the United States to strengthen its ability to prevent, detect, and respond to infectious diseases with pandemic potential. Finally, at the UN General Assembly last month, USAID Administrator Mark Green announced Cameroon would be a new focus country of the President's Malaria Initiative. On security, the United States is proud to support Cameroon and its Lake Chad Basin neighbors in their effort to defeat Boko Haram and its offshoot, ISIS West Africa. If confirmed, I will work to emphasize that security forces stand a much greater chance of defeating the enemy when they respect human rights and when they build trust with civilians. I would also seek to engage Cameroon to implement the tripartite agreement with Nigeria and the UN High Commissioner for Refugees on the treatment of Nigerian refugees. My experience in Africa has taught me that good governance is the single most important factor in the success or failure of a nation, and that the ends do not justify all means. If confirmed, I would encourage the government to release peaceful protesters detained in connection with the situation in the Anglophone regions, and urge all parties to commit to dialogue. Violence on anybody's part is not the solution. In spite of the challenges, Cameroon has achieved considerable progress in the brief period since its independence. If confirmed, I would seek to help build on that progress and would work with the government, the people of Cameroon, and our international partners to ensure that elections in 2018 are free, fair, and credible, as well as peaceful. Mr. Chairman and members of the committee, thank you for this opportunity to appear before you. If confirmed, I look forward to working with the committee and others in Congress to advance U.S. interests in Cameroon. I'd be happy to answer any questions. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Whitaker. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Booker, and distinguished members of the committee, I'm honored to appear before you as President Trump's nominee for the United States Ambassador to the Republic of Niger. I deeply appreciate the confidence and trust the President and Secretary of State have shown in nominating me for this position. Thank you, members of the committee, for your consideration and for your ongoing attention to our relations with the nations of Africa. I look forward to working with Congress to advance our interests in Niger. I'm supported here today by my brother Craig and regret that my late wife, Janita, who was also a Foreign Service officer, is not here as well. Mr. Chairman, a former Peace Corps volunteer, I've served in 10 of our diplomatic posts in Africa, including Niamey, Niger, where I was Deputy Chief of Mission from 2008 to 2010. I also was fortunate to have the opportunity to serve as Deputy Chief of Mission in N'Djamena, Chad, to the east of Niger, and as Political Economic Chief in Bamako, Mali, to the west. During my career, I've served through several major challenges in Africa, including conflicts and military coups, refugee crises, droughts, and floods, while also witnessing at the same time noteworthy economic growth and an expansion of democracy. If confirmed, I will draw upon my experience to expand the strong partnership between Niger and the United States of America as we continue to work together toward our mutual goals of combating extremism throughout the region, strengthening democratic governance and respect for fundamental freedoms, 
and fostering inclusive economic growth and prosperity. As a result of Niger's progress in developing democratic institutions, it was approved in 2016 for a $437 million Millennium Challenge Corporation Compact, as you mentioned. This focuses on improving water management, agricultural productivity, and market access to improve incomes for small-scale farmers and pastoralists. Despite these achievements, however, Niger still faces great challenges. We're committed to supporting Niger's efforts to protect its borders, build capacity to interdict illicit goods, promote good governance and rule of law, and help return security and stability to northern Mali. Niger also continues to face serious humanitarian challenges, ongoing migration issues, and persistent food insecurity. Despite its own serious humanitarian situation, however, Niger has generously opened its door to over 57,000 Malian and 106,000 Nigerian refugees. From fiscal year 2013 to date, the United States has provided over $225 million in emergency assistance to address food insecurity and to address the needs of Malian and Nigerian refugees hosted by Niger. The United States and Niger partner across a variety of programs to address the needs of Niger's most vulnerable people. This year, USAID Administrator Green announced Niger as a new target country for the global food security strategy, and Niger also became a president's malaria initiative country. In fiscal year 2017, the United States is providing $61.5 million in bilateral development assistance to Niger for programs supporting democracy, governance, health, education, nutrition, and agriculture. If confirmed, I will continue to encourage the Nigerian government to implement economic reforms and develop the infrastructure needed to attract investment and promote trade, particularly with the United States. Overall, I will work to ensure that our bilateral partnership remains firmly rooted in our shared vision of security and prosperity. I will endeavor to assist in partnering for a democratic and prosperous Niger that respects human rights and provides economic opportunities for all. Through this partnership, I look forward to fulfilling my priorities of protecting American citizens and advancing U.S. national security interests in the Sahel. Thank you for inviting me to appear before you today. I would be most pleased to answer questions that you may have. Thank you, all of you. And uh, again, thank you, the family, for being here as well. Uh, Mr. Andre, with regard to Djibouti, um, this is the first country where the United States and, Ch and China uh, have uh, both have military bases. What uh, kind of challenges does that present, and uh, how will that go? Uh, thank you for the question, Senator. I note that uh, General Waldhauser, the commander of AFRICOM, uh, recently pointed out that China's presence presents both opportunities and challenges. Uh, the, the challenge, I will mention first, which is uh, to uh, safeguard uh, with the Djiboutian authorities our base rights, which, uh, which have always operated in a manner that gives us full flexibility and uh, maximum uh, effectiveness. Uh, from all I have heard in my briefings, from all I have seen, the Djiboutian government is motivated for its own purposes to see that uh, that maximum effectiveness for Camp Le Monnier remains in place. So, uh, of course, we will be on high alert um, to see if there is any uh, attempt to curtail uh, our, our base rights. 
but uh, everything I've seen indicates that the Djiboutians um, uh, would not want to go there. Uh, now, uh, General Waldhauser also mentioned opportunity. Uh, we do have shared interests, uh, for example, in anti-piracy. Uh, that explains, anti-piracy explains the presence of uh, some of the other uh, militaries there. Uh, about 10% uh, of world trade, 8% of, of uh, uh, petroleum products move through the Bab el-Mandab uh, Strait, uh, 18 miles um, uh, long. With uh, it's, it's a two-lane highway, um, so it really um, uh, forces the traffic through a narrow uh, point, and that's exactly where Djibouti is found, with Yemen on the other side. Uh, so. Uh, there are interests, uh, and where we have shared interests, that's opportunity. Um, where not, uh, we are on uh, very much high alert. Thank you. With regard to Cameroon, Mr. Barliner, um, U.S. forces have trained uh, with uh, um, Cameroon security forces. There have been some alleged abuses uh, in the security forces there. How are we dealing with that? Thank you, Senator. Well, I've, I've uh, read the uh, Amnesty International report uh, carefully, uh, and um, uh, the embassy has uh, interacted uh, with the government at the highest levels uh, to express concerns about uh, alleged uh, human rights violations. Um, in the report, it also mentions that there, there was uh, some awareness on the part of uh, our forces uh, in uh, far north of Cameroon. Mm -hmm. Um, the uh, commander of the uh, um, uh, Special Operations Command uh, forward um, uh, conducted an, an initial investigation into those allegations, uh, did not find anything. Uh, the General Waldhauser, the commander of AFRICOM, uh, has initiated a follow-on investigation led by a general officer, uh, and that investigation is underway. Thus far, we, we have seen no evidence uh, that uh, any of our uh, troops uh, were aware of any violations of the law of armed conflict. As, mm -hmm. as you know, um, uh, we are uh, prohibited from training or working with uh, any units that have been found to be guilty of, of um, or uh, suspected of uh, committing uh, gross violations of human rights, sir. How important is our relationship with Cameroon with regard to the fight against Boko Haram? I would say it's extremely important. Uh, Cameroon uh, pays a, a heavy price. They have approximately 2,000 troops uh, with the multinational joint task force uh, with other Lake Chad Basin countries, and they have another 2,000 troops with this rapid intervention battalion in the far, far north fighting. And we, uh, we do uh, training and equipping. We, we build the capacity of the Cameroonian uh, security forces, not just uh, the military, but also the police and the, and the judiciary. Um, and uh, we, we have a, f a full range of, of uh, support for their effort to fight uh, Boko Haram and ISIS West Africa. Thank you. Mr. Whitaker, you mentioned, uh, obviously, there are a lot of security cooperation that we have in Niger, building a base there. You mentioned in your testimony the opportunity for more commercial engagement or trade. In what sectors uh, is that possible? Uh, regrettably, uh, Mr. Chairman, the level of trade and investment with Niger is coming from quite a low base. So anything is an improvement. Anything's an, an improvement and, and golden. And we look forward to working with representatives of the few American firms that do have agents and distributors present. That would include hosting them perhaps for quarterly business receptions to try to help them 
to do uh, better business and to help them to work with Nigerian counterparts to improve the climate for, for trade. There may also be spinoffs with the MCC Compact. There might be opportunities for U.S. firms to bid on infrastructure projects or American NGOs to bid on some of the community-level projects associated with that. So I look forward to working with them and doing consultations with the Department of Commerce, the uh, 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 Corporate Center for Africa, and others to try to in improve the number of opportunities that we have in Niger. All right. Thank you. Senator Booker. Um, with your permission, I'd like to defer my time uh, for now to Senator Coons. Senator Coons. Thank you, Chairman Flake. Uh, thank you, Ranking Member Booker. Uh, appreciate your accommodating uh, my schedule. Mr. Whitaker, good to see you again. Uh, good to be with you, uh, Mr. Berlin and uh, Mr. Andre. And um, thank you uh, for your willingness to serve in um, three different countries uh, on a continent where I think the U.S.-Africa relationship is critical uh, and where uh, developments in terms of the balance between security and economic partnership and cooperation, human rights and the promotion of democracy uh, is more important, uh, really, than it's ever been. Um, our ongoing humanitarian assistance in countries from South Sudan to Nigeria to Somalia uh, continues to save lives, and our aid in support of democracy has helped ensure uh, relatively peaceful democratic transfers of power in countries like Ghana and the Gambia. Um, initiatives like Power Africa, uh, the Young Africa Leaders Initiative, Feed the Future, PEPFAR, AGOA, um, all increase ties between the United States and Africans while promoting trade and investment and are all examples of why the U.S.-Africa relationship has been and must continue to be bipartisan. Um, these are initiatives across Republican and Democratic administrations, and we've been blessed by the engagement of Republican and Democrat uh, leaders uh, here in the Senate. So let me ask just a few quick questions, uh, if I might, um, in particular about the violence in Cameroon and uh, news reports today that something on the order of 17 uh, protesters uh, have been killed. As a co-chair of the Senate Human Rights Caucus, uh, I'm deeply concerned about the government's crackdown on human rights and civil liberties, especially in the Anglophone uh, portions of Cameroon. Um, some of the reports from yesterday also report um, that um, there's dozens more peaceful protesters uh, who've been arrested. I know you referenced this in your opening remarks. Um, do you intend to continue the longstanding U.S. policy of uh, supporting the rule of law, supporting um, self-expression and, and free speech, and how will you use your role, if confirmed, um, to strengthen the U.S.-Cameroon relationship while also speaking for our core values? Thank you, Senator. Uh, yes, I, I, I will uh, uphold uh, our, our current policy of, of uh, strengthening rule of law in Cameroon. Um, uh, as you know, uh, the Anglophone regions, uh, the um, uh, situation started back in October or November of last year when lawyers and teachers uh, protesting uh, what they perceived to be unfair treatment uh, on the part of the Francophone majority and, uh, and the government uh, in Yaoundé uh, staged uh, um, stay-at-home strikes. Uh, and the government responded uh, uh, with force and uh, shut down the Internet um, and arrested a number of uh, leaders as well as peaceful protesters. Um, uh, Partly in response to uh, efforts from the international community, including the United States, the UN, and civil society organizations, they uh, uh, restored the internet after 93 days of it being closed down. These uh, uh, demonstrations uh, on reunification day uh, that took place on Sunday, uh, uh, we deplore the, the loss of life uh, and uh, uh, 
we have uh, expressed to the government uh, that um, uh, um, disproportionate use of force uh, in these kinds of situations is, is, is not acceptable. And if uh, confirmed, Senator, uh, I, I promise you that I will uh, carry that message forward. Um, we have at the same time called on all sides uh, to, to come to dialogue, to, 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 to engage in a credible dialogue, because these are longstanding issues, Senator, and um, uh, they, they can't be resolved overnight, and certainly they cannot be resolved uh, with violence. In, in all three, thank you. In all three of the countries uh, to which you've been nominated to serve as ambassadors, there is a, a delicate balance between uh, complex security situations, um, supporting and uh, partnering effectively with regimes that have at times been uh, our important partners in counterterrorism work or in regional stability, um, while also advocating for openness, for democracy, for human rights. Uh, the practice uh, of the regime in Cameroon of shutting off the internet when things are said they don't like is the sort of thing we can't uh, tolerate. But by the same token, in the fight against Boko Haram uh, or in the fight uh, against uh, regional sources of instability, whether in the Horn or in the Sahel, um, we need to sustain our partnerships. If I could just ask briefly of all three of you, how will you balance the need to promote um, America's national security interests with America's core values of democracy, human rights, rule of law? If you might, Mr. Whitaker. Thank you, Senator. If confirmed, I look forward to working with my country team to address the equilibrium of which you speak. I'm delighted that Niger has qualified for an MCC compact. That itself says it's met a number of criteria on the so-called scorecard. It also tells us that they've passed the bar on corruption, which is a necessary uh, precondition to that. I look forward to this as uh, helping with governance in the agricultural sector where 83% of the country works. I think policy reforms and spin-off that will be helpful. I'm also delighted that the USAID program is ramping up and that Congress has supported additional funding, $61.5 million this fiscal year just ending. It's an increase from before, of which $5 million is for democracy and governance programming alone from $2 million the year before, $1 million the year before that. So we are in a good position in terms of increase in resources, We'll, of course, need to ensure that they're being used with accountability. But I look forward to working with our team to ensure that these things help improve health, education, the role of civil society in a democracy, respect for human rights. I'm also pleased that we have a Department of Justice re regional, or, um, excuse me, resident legal advisor working with law enforcement and the judiciary, as well as a regional security officer that works with law enforcement training that includes respect for human rights. Furthermore, we have an active public diplomacy program that amplifies our message, both private and public. So I look forward to helping to ensure that that balance is there, and I do take that very seriously. Thank you, Senator. Thank you, Mr. Whitaker. I'm well beyond my time, so I'll leave it to the discretion of the chair whether to invite the other two nominees to finish or to move on. Finish. <laughs> Briefly, I'm sure. Brevity is the soul of wit, gentlemen. I'll be brief. I, I, I would say that uh, I've, I've always stressed in my career to uh, African uh, government counterparts that uh, in the long run, uh, the, the, the ends uh, uh, and the means have to converge and that um, uh, 
in the long run, uh, protecting human rights and the fundamental freedoms of association and expression uh, are the best way for, uh, to ensure the stability of the country. And I will continue to do that uh, in Cameroon. As, as, as you know, Senator, uh, uh, the Cameroon is gonna be facing elections uh, in the fall of next year. And so I plan, if confirmed, to put uh, together uh, a, a, a good uh, uh, program uh, with the Bureau of Democracy, Rights and Labor, our Bureau of, of, of uh, Conflict and Stabilization Operations, Africa Bureau, and, and the embassy team uh, to, um, to support uh, uh, elections that are uh, free, fair, and credible, and, and peaceful. You'll have a busy year, <laughs> sir. Uh, Senator, uh, that is a question that I've considered a lot in my career. Uh, what I saw in wartime Sierra Leone was how a lack of, a total lack of security led to outrageous human rights violations. Uh, what I saw in Kenya uh, during the December 27 election and the violent aftermath uh, was a democratic deficit um, leading to widespread violence and undermining security. So human rights and security are complementary. They are both required. Uh, what I have done in Mauritania for the last three years is when necessary, um, speaking out publicly, um, and at other times, making specific points privately. Uh, but as a friend, as the US as a friend of that country, uh, explaining how we see the necessity of maintaining both security and progress on human rights. Uh, Djibouti will have legislative elections in 2018. Uh, that will be an opportunity uh, to make progress um, in uh, establishing uh, democratic uh, institutions. Uh, the U.S., uh, the American people through USAID are uh, funding a $3 million program to develop civil society. Djibouti has an exceptionally weak civil society, and that is a necessary component of a robust uh, democrat uh, uh, establishment. Uh, in the end, all of the uh, security and economic gains that Djibouti has achieved can only be guaranteed over the long run by democratic institutions. And that is the message that I would be making to the Djiboutians. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. And um, thank you, Senator Booker. Thank you. Senator Booker. You give an inch to Coons and he takes four That's extra minutes. It's terrible. I was going to warn you when you gave that. You'll never get it back. Never. <laughs> no, I really am grateful for not only the chairman of this committee, but uh, Senator Coons has been a friend and, and uh, who was the ranking member before me on this committee, and it's done an extraordinary job and continues to do in his leadership. Um, I, I failed to say in my introductory remarks, uh, Mr. Whitaker, that I, I'm sorry we didn't get a chance to meet and discuss this in person, but I understand that your wife uh, was also a State Department uh, Foreign Service officer, passed away uh, in the field uh, while you were here in D.C., and I just want to express not only my condolences, but my deep appreciation, reverence, and honor that, that this country should extend to your wife, and I'm sure I, my colleagues join me in that sentiment. Thank you very much. So um, Senator Coons really hit on a tension that I, I, I'm, I've been struggling with, which uh, uh, Mr. Andre, uh, Ambassador Andre, you, you spoke to, which is um, the tension between uh, hum human rights, humanitarian concerns, uh, democratic principles and ideals, and our security concerns. And really since 9-11, uh, two decades, uh, we've been ramping up our spending on security uh, uh, concerns in, in, the, in, in the nations that you all represent. Uh, and my concerns is that the democratic stability of these countries has not improved. One would argue it's, in, in many cases, democracy continues to erode or 
is on a precipice, as we see in, in Cameroon, for example, of uh, potential disastrous concerns. Um, Senator Coons has been yanking my ear over the last 24 hours or so about the challenges in, in Cameroon alone. Um, and, and that's sort of where I, I'm, I worry about, is that we are, we are, as a State Department's posture now, especially with the, the administration's budget requests, investing less in building civil society, investing less in um, uh, the kind of State Department activities that provide security. Um, you know, there was a new uh, UNDP study uh, based on interviews with more than 500 recruits of violent extremism that found that over 70% of the cases, uh, government action, including the killing or arrest of a family member or friend, was a tipping point that prompted them uh, to an extremist organization. Uh, I, I've listened to some of my more senior colleagues uh, in open committee discuss what we're seeing in Yemen right now and our participation in many ways with the Saudis. Uh, in what has been, uh, I shouldn't say our participation, in what the Saudis are doing in indiscriminate bombing, uh, in many ways in creating a more um, unstable environment for future acts of terrorism or future recruits for terrorist organizations. And so I really do worry about um, uh, the abuses right now that some of the security forces uh, are, are engaging in against civilians and how they can be a powerful recruitment tool uh, for terrorist organizations, which is an important consideration as the executive branch thinks about continuing uh, security assistance for countries like Cameroon, whose military has been implicated uh, in torture. And so I, I want to ask, uh, maybe Mr. Barlin, we'll begin with you, in your position, what can we be doing to ensure that U.S. security assistance does not enable much of this reprehensible, abusive behavior by partner militaries who are in many ways fueling the long-term instability of their country as well as the problems that we're trying to prevent? And, and, and what I'm worried about is how the U.S. seems to be, in some cases, as we've seen in Cameroon, you mentioned that you read uh, the Amnesty uh, International report in some ways, uh, it's casting a shadow over the American presence uh, in Cameroon as well. Thank you, Senator. I, I, um, I can't uh, give you a, a, a perfect answer, and uh, I won't purport to try. But uh, what I will uh, promise you is that I will uh, uh, carry forward the, the same spirit, the same uh, concerns, the same message that you have, uh, if confirmed. Uh, and and try uh, my best to impress upon uh, Cameroonian interlocutors uh, that the, the importance of respect for human rights and uh, uh, basic freedoms, fundamental freedoms. Um, I, I, I will say uh, that the Leahy Amendment is, is like a, a vaccine for us because uh, it, it prevents us from uh, being mixed up with uh, units, military units that uh, are engaged with uh, gross violations of human rights. So that's been, uh, I think, uh, a very helpful thing um, for us. And the uh, AFRICOM's investigations into the, uh, the allegations of Amnesty International um, will, uh, I, I, I hope and I'm confident, will, uh, will clear uh, any, uh, any um, uh, idea that, that, that the U.S. Is, is somehow involved with something that's, uh, that's not, uh, not correct. 
Um, I, I'd also like to just note that uh, we're doing a lot more in the far north of Cameroon. Cameroon has got a huge um, uh, refugee, uh, is a, a, a host to a huge number of refugees, uh, about 225,000 from the Central African Republic, about 93,000 from Nigeria. For a population that size of a, of a, of a fairly small economy, that's the equivalent of having about uh, uh, 8 million uh, plus refugees in the United States of America. And, and it's in, in an economy that's uh, facing serious uh, challenges, as, as you mentioned. Um, the USAID's Office of Transition Initiatives is working in the far north to build uh, um, a local capacity of, of, of uh, opinion makers, uh, of uh, expressing uh, uh, moderate messaging, of helping youth uh, to, uh, to resolve their differences in a peaceable manner. Uh, and then we provide uh, a, a great deal of assistance. We're the leading uh, assistant uh, uh, country uh, for um, uh, humanitarian assistance in that area to help uh, the people of the far north of Cameroon get through this uh, difficult time. So Pop Bureau of Population, Refugees and Migration provides a little over $13 million uh, uh, this year. Uh, the um, USAID's uh, uh, um, uh, Food for Peace provides about 18 to $20 million of feeding. And then uh, USAID's Office of Foreign Disaster Assistance provides psychosocial support and other, uh, other support uh, for, for these communities. But uh, let me stress uh, that um, Cameroon has been and uh, I hope will continue to be a good and a strong partner uh, with us in facing these, uh, these very serious challenges. Thank you very much. And, and again, the, the dialogue between us is so important, especially as we uh, set the budget for the State Department and, and some of these organizations that you rightfully mentioned and, and gave highlight to, uh, their resource needs is something that's important to help form our understanding of where we should be making investments. I, I'm, I, I'm very conscious of another panel, but I, Mr. Whitaker, I do want to just press you a little bit and then I'll... I'll I'll end uh, and let uh, Ambassador Andre escape uh, my, my questioning. Um, uh, sorry, Mr. Whitaker. Um, uh, your brother is filming this. I want to give you a chance to, uh, you know, to really look good on camera. Um, but um, uh, Niger, is, is, it's, it's got a really tough neighborhood, obviously, when it comes to uh, Boko Haram, Al-Qaeda, uh, and, and then unrest in, in Mali, Mali and, and Libya. And so the intelligence and reconnaissance capabilities in the region are, are really, it's such an important miss, mission. Um, but there was a CNN article that described uh, Agadez as becoming a tinderbox packed with migrants willing to risk everything, those who have spent all they had and failed to make it to Europe and an unemployed local population that is rapidly running out of patience. And so AFRICOM seems to recognize this. Uh, an official was, was noting, and I quote that official saying, the stability is absolutely fragile. There's a youth bulge we have here, the median age being less than 15 for more than half the population, literacy estimated to be 15% at 15% and humanitarian conditions very poor is going to affect how we conduct business. Uh, and so this is why I'm concerned, again, about us expending uh, over $100 million 
in, in our military base there. Um, U.S. foreign assistance, however, towards health, agriculture, good governance, other programs, total less than 37 million in fiscal year uh, 2016. And the uh, FY 2018 request from the administration was $1.6 million, uh, given all that was going on. And so I'm just curious for you entering, again, this extraordinary challenge um, uh, and the extraordinary strategic importance of what's going on there, not only as a counterterrorism, but preventing um, uh, real humanitarian um, crises of the future. Um, you know, are you concerned about the overinvestment in the military, or maybe it's not overinvestment in military, but not enough of an investment in it in, in when it comes to things to stabilize the community, to empower uh, um, uh, uh, locals to not only have the basic needs, but also to help to stabilize uh, uh, democratic ideals. Um, I, I'm, I'm just wondering if you could give me any thoughts uh, as someone who has to make these policy decisions in, 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 in cooperation with my colleagues about our investments in, in, or at least the mismatch that I seem to see about our investments in, in, in an important nation. Thank you, Senator. I take your question very seriously, in particular because I've served in EMA before and in neighboring Mali and Chad, and they all face the scourge of terrorism. We're trying to help Niger as a partner by training and equipping their military, helping to build a, an airfield near Agadez so they can conduct uh, surveillance over their borders and protect from gun runners, movement of foreign fighters from country to country, and other smuggling. And this is important to their own security, but it's also important that the region, uh, through a variety of initiatives, attack regional issues jointly. We're trying to help develop that capacity. This also includes our training of Nigerian military for the uh, uh, MINUSMA next door in Mali, where they have a battalion, and we train a battalion each year so they're well prepared to carry out those responsibilities. I understand the importance of balance. That's why I'm excited about the Millennium Challenge Corporation Compact, which will help with agricultural productivity because that's where people work, is in the agricultural sector. Work in that area, I think, will help fight terrorism and the, uh, any lure that violent extremism might have. The AID programs are going up. Uh, we're seeing increases in funding, including in health and education, and I think these will support governance and give people hope for, the, for tomorrow. So I see we're doing a number of things. It may not be enough. I'm certainly open to uh, suggestions, which I'll take in my consultations. I will be consulting with AFRICOM as well and getting a better handle on their programs and uh, trying to ensure we have some greater balance in our relationship. So I look forward to working with my country team, if confirmed, to ensure that this takes place. I do share your concerns, sir. All right. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Or, Senator Booker. and. Uh, Senator Coons, it's nice to have people so knowledgeable on the subject. Uh, we've worked on this issue for a while um, with Senator Coons and traveled with him. Glad that he spent some time here, as well as, uh, as the interest that Senator Booker shows and the experience that he has. So with thanks to the committee, uh, appreciate <coughs> you testifying. And we'll now call the uh, second panel up. Um, and we'll start in about two minutes, if that's OK. That was fast, thank you so much. We'll now start with the second panel. 
First nominee, Michael Dodman, who most recently was Executive Assistant to the Undersecretary for Economic Growth, Energy, and the Environment. He served as Consul General in Karachi, as well as uh, he was the Economic Advisor or Officer to the European Union in ba and Baghdad as well. Our second nominee, uh, Nina Feit, who most recently was Principal Officer in the U.S. Consulate in Montreal. She also has served as principal officer in our consulate in uh, Pakistan and served a previous tour in Angola, among other assignments. Our third nominee, Daniel Foote, most recently was Deputy Assistant Secretary for the Bureau of International Narcotics and Law Enforcement Affairs at the state. He's been Deputy Chief of Mission in both uh, uh, Santo Domingo and Port-au-Prince. Fourth nominee, David Reimer, uh, who most recently was Director for West African Affairs, also been Director for East African Affairs, and Deputy Chief of Mission at USM. And also, let's see, been Deputy Chief of Mission as well. So thank you so much. And with that, we'll recognize Mr. Dodman. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member. Um, I am honored to come before you as President Trump's nominee to be the next U.S. Ambassador to the Islamic Republic of Mauritania. I'm grateful to the President and Secretary Tillerson for their confidence. I'm thrilled to be joined today by my wife, uh, Joan. Um, Joan and I first met as freshmen at Georgetown, and she has been an inspiration and support to me ever since then. Uh, family, one of our four children, our young... Family members have to raise their hand. We've got to know who you're talking about here. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. And since Senator Booker has jumped in, I'll also say she is a proud daughter of New Jersey. You didn't need to tell South me that. Orange. You can recognize a Jersey okay. girl. When you okay. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, our daughter Claire, the youngest of our four kids, is uh, also here. Our other three children and my parents are here in spirit. But I can just say for all of us, um, for the six of us, the 30 years that we've spent uh, in the Foreign Service as a family has been uh, the greatest thrill and honor for all of us to represent our country abroad. Uh, Mr. Chairman, Mauritania is a strong U.S. partner located at the crossroads of the Maghreb and the Sahel. The country's success and stability are important to the United States. And that is why we so emphatically support Mauritanians' efforts to strengthen their democratic institutions, to end slavery and its vestiges, and to build a secure, united, and prosperous society. Like its neighbors, Mauritania faces security threats from Al-Qaeda and similar extremist groups. Thankfully, Mauritania has not experienced a terror attack on its soil since 2011. Uh, the country's leadership often cites U.S. training and assistance as a prime factor for this achievement. Today, Mauritania's contributions to regional security include their hosting in Nouakchott the Secretariat of the G5 Sahel Organization. If confirmed, I look forward to strengthening our security cooperation with Mauritania and also with the G5 Sahel. Mauritania is preparing for presidential elections in 2019. Many Mauritanians hope to distance their nation from a history of autocratic governance. Impartial, transparent, and accountable governance is the best means to strengthen Mauritania's national unity and to promote a prosperous future. Mauritania has struggled to achieve a national identity that reflects its ethnic and racial diversity. If confirmed, I will support Mauritanians in this important effort, including pressing for the full implementation of laws and policies that guarantee freedom from slavery for all Mauritanians and that hold anyone accountable who infringes, infringes on the rights of others. Uh, like many of my colleagues before you here today, the primary focus of my career has been economic diplomacy. And this is an area where I see significant opportunities in Mauritania. Bilateral commercial relations are growing, including with an American firm's discovery of significant offshore gas deposits. I'm glad that we also have a new American business forum recently established in Nouakchott. 
So if confirmed, I look forward to being very active in this area. Uh, my recent tours have included some of our toughest foreign service posts, in particular my last assignment overseas running our consulate in Karachi. I can assure you, Mr. Chairman, that I take very seriously a Chief of Mission's responsibility to ensure the safety and security of all employees and of all resident Americans. Mr. Chairman, I'm thrilled to be participating in this hearing today with friends and colleagues who represent the very best of the Foreign Service. I'm especially grateful to Ambassador Larry Andre, whose seat I appear to have taken, um, for his support and guidance throughout this process. If confirmed, I look forward to building on the many achievements of Ambassador Andre and the strong team at Embassy Nouakchott to further advance an American-Mauritanian partnership based on shared values and shared interests. Thank you very much for your consideration. I look forward to any questions you may have. Thank you, Ms. Pite. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Booker, I'm honored to appear before you today as President Trump's nominee to serve as the next U.S. Ambassador to the Republic of Angola. I'm grateful to the President and Secretary Tillerson for the confidence and trust they have placed in me with this nomination. If confirmed, I will devote myself to advancing U.S. interests and values, as I have throughout my 27-year career in the Foreign Service. I will work closely with this committee and other members of Congress on our shared interests in strengthening the partnership between the United States and Angola. I'd like to introduce my sister Teresa and her husband Peter, who've traveled here from California via a week down the shore. Just put in your New Jersey credit there. <laughs> and I'd also like to acknowledge my brother Richard and his wife Ruth, who are unable to be here with me today. For nearly 30 years, my path of service has meant that I have not been able to see them as much as I would have liked, but their support has sustained me every step of the way, as it does today. I'd like also a moment to acknowledge my deceased parents, who instilled in me a dedication to public service and a love of international affairs. Angola is the United States' third largest trading partner in sub-Saharan Africa and the second largest oil producer in that region. Diplomatically, the United States has benefited from a strong and productive partnership with Angola. The Angolan government has been an effective voice for peace in the region and has proven an excellent partner in our efforts in other African countries facing crises, including those in the Democratic Republic of Congo and the Central African Republic. We have a shared interest in seeing a peaceful, prosperous, and stable African continent. Fifteen years ago, a resource-rich Angola emerged from its civil war as a major economic power in the region. Some U.S. businesses have thrived in Angola for decades, with many commercial relationships that predate our bilateral diplomatic relationship. While there are significant opportunities for U.S. companies, the commercial landscape remains challenging. Corruption remains widespread throughout society, and the country's econo economy requires diversification so that its security and prosperity are not dependent on oil prices. The U.S. supports Angola's goal of broadening its economy and creating a business climate that is more attractive and transparent for international partners. If confirmed, I will work closely with U.S. companies and the government of Angola to advance U.S. commercial interests to create the best climate possible for American businesses. An improved business environment in Angola will also bring benefit and jobs to the United States and to our economy. When I served in Angola a decade ago, the United States was instrumental in helping the Angolan people prepare for national elections, in which many voted for the very first time.
in their lives. And two months ago, Angola marked a milestone in its democratic progression and elected its first new president in 38 years. As President Lorenzo articulates his vision for Angola, I believe it is an opportune time to deepen our relationship. We must build on our burgeoning defense cooperation and strong economic ties while working to expand the space for democratic debate, to empower Angolan civil society, and to reinforce Angola's foundations for democracy. If confirmed, I will focus my efforts on strengthening our dialogue on these important issues. Angola has the economic means to achieve substantial improvements in health outcomes for its people, including infant mortality, a measure by which Angola has fallen tragically short of its potential. The United States has supported Angola with targeted technical assistance in the health arena, fighting malaria, tuberculosis, and HIV. We also support Angola in, to, um, in its goal to make the country landmine-free by 2025, an achievement that would help end one of the most painful reminders of its devastating civil war. If confirmed, I will focus on helping new models assist of assistance evolve as African nations like Angola mature economically and socially. Since I was last there, Angola has continued to move forward from the effects of its long civil war. But then, as now, there's more work to be done. I will bring the experiences of my State Department career, including tours in Afghanistan and Pakistan, to advance U.S. interests in Angola. And a prerequisite to advancing any of our goals is ensuring the safety and well-being of all Americans, whether members of the embassy team or private citizens working, living, or doing business in Angola. Mr. Chairman, Mr. Ranking Member, thank you again for your enduring interest and support for our engagement. I look forward to your questions. Thank you. Mr. Foote. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Booker, I think you've earned the concise version of my statement today. Mm -hmm. I'm honored to appear before you as President Trump's nominee to serve as the United States Ambassador to the Republic of Zambia. If confirmed by the Senate, I will work with Congress to advance American interests in Zambia. Please allow me to thank my beloved family for their inspiration, support, and sacrifice. First and foremost is my wonderful wife, Claudia, uh, with which, without whom none of this would be possible. Uh, I'm blessed to share this special day with my daughter, Cecilia, and remotely and later, because I expect my son at boarding school should be on the football field right now at practice, <laughs> I'd also like to thank my parents, Kurt and Caroline, and my outstanding friends. Uh, my heart goes out to the, the victims and families of the, the tragic events in Las Vegas yesterday, and while not related this time to foreign policy, I'm struck by the importance of diplomacy in protecting the American people. Uh, Zambia is a strong partner, and if confirmed, I will energetically promote our citizens' shared values of diplomatic principles, greater prosperity, regional stability, and improved health and education. While we have long appreciated Zambia's democratic history, it must remain focused on its democratic environment. Developments such as problematic media restrictions and treatment of opposition members tarnish its reputation. If confirmed, I plan to promote constructive dialogue aimed at reconciliation and the restoration of Zambia's strong 
democratic traditions. I will staunchly advocate for human rights and freedoms and the inclusion of all in democratic processes. Improved economic growth is vital to create employment, to improve the lives of people, to create market opportunities for U.S. entities. And if confirmed, I will strive to boost prosperity and increase U.S. trade and investment in Zambia. Zambia, as a dependable peacekeeping contributor and a welcoming sanctuary for refugees fleeing conflict, has the potential to be a, a great regional leader. If confirmed, I will cultivate Zambia's ongoing efforts to advance regional stability. Healthy and engaged populations are critical to advancement. Our development and health programs in Zambia have saved millions of lives and educated a generation of people. I commit to efficiently implement our assistance programs in Zambia as a faithful steward of U.S. taxpayer funds. Having served across the globe, including twice in Iraq, once in Afghanistan, and once in Haiti, I've developed a sense of what I think it takes to run a happy and safe embassy. If confirmed, Mr. Chairman, Mr. Ranking Member, I pledge to you to lead a productive, high-morale embassy working for the American people and fortifying the U.S. relationship with Zambia. I thank you for the privilege of appearing today, and I welcome your questions. Mr. Reimer. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Booker, I'm honored to appear before this committee today as the President's nominee to be the next United States Ambassador to the Republic of Mauritius and the Republic of Seychelles. I am grateful for the confidence and trust that the President and Secretary Tillerson have placed in me. I'd like to introduce my wife, Simonetta Romagnolo. Um, Simonetta and I have been married for a grand total of two and a half months. Um, Simonetta is Italian, however, she has worked for the U.S. Department of State longer than I have, over 30 years at the U.S. Consulate in Milan, Italy. I'd also like to acknowledge my parents, Richard and Lois Reimer, who could not be here today, as well as my brother Paul and my sister Sue. Democracy and trade continue to be important elements of our bilateral relationship with the Republic of Mauritius. Mauritius is politically stable, committed to democracy, ethnically diverse, and economically strong. Since its independence from the United Kingdom nearly 50 years ago, the country has gone through a remarkable economic transformation from an economy based on sugar production to a diversified economy of export-oriented manufacturing, tourism, and financial and business services. In many ways, Mauritius is a model, politically and economically, for Africa and the rest of the developing world. A challenge in our bilateral relationship with Mauritius is its claim of sovereignty over the British Indian Ocean Territory, which Mauritians call the Chagos Islands. Together with the United Kingdom, we have operated Naval Support Facility Diego Garcia in these islands for the last 50 years. Mauritius has taken its sovereignty claim to the International Court of Justice for an advisory opinion. However, we continue to strongly support the UK's longstanding territorial claim. As a career diplomat and economic officer, I bring years of experience to the task of promoting democracy and economic prosperity for the benefit of the United States and our partners around the world. 
I have visited Mauritius several times, and my service in Africa, the Caribbean, Europe, and the Middle East has prepared me for the challenges and opportunities of this post. If confirmed, I will work with the Mauritian government and people and encourage them to embrace leadership roles to promote democracy and build economic prosperity in the region, which will also benefit the American people. I look forward to the opportunity to promote U.S. exports and investment in both Mauritius and Seychelles. The United States government enjoys a positive bilateral relationship with Seychelles. In the recent past, the government of Seychelles has been a steadfast partner in fighting maritime piracy off the Horn of Africa. The near elimination of that scourge owes much to the efforts of the Seychelles. We continue to partner with the Seychelles people and government in the fight against piracy, terrorism, drug trafficking, and illegal fishing. On the economic side, Seychelles has the highest per capita income in Africa. However, income is not evenly distributed and poverty remains. Over the last eight years, though, Seychelles has implemented needed economic reforms and the economy remains on a positive track. In the last year, Seychelles has adapted well to a political environment in which, for the first time in the country's history, the presidency and the legislature are controlled by opposing parties. If confirmed, I will encourage Seychelles to continue with its economic reforms, to continue to improve its human rights standing, and to continue its growth as a strong, fully functioning democracy. Although our embassy is located in Mauritius, if confirmed, I intend to travel frequently to the Seychelles. My highest priority, if confirmed, will be the protection of Americans living and traveling in Mauritius and Seychelles. I commit to you to serve as an energetic advocate for U.S. business and to promote U.S. investment opportunities. I will be a careful steward of U.S. resources in Mauritius and Seychelles. Mr. Chairman, I'm deeply honored to be nominated for the post of Ambassador to Mauritius and Seychelles. If confirmed by the Senate, I look forward to working closely with you and other members of the committee. I welcome your questions. Well, thank you. And uh, might I say, it's not a bad place to honeymoon, too. I mean, it's, but it, I've uh, spent time in Southern Africa, and a lot of people would go to Mauritius and, and the Seychelles, and I haven't yet been there, so I look forward uh, to being there. But uh, Mr. Dodman, with regard to Mauritania, they've taken a step backward a bit uh, with regard to governance. Um, there's an upcoming 2019 presidential election. Um, that'll certainly send a signal as to where they're going. Uh, how important is that, and how important is our presence there in ensuring that they, they have uh, proper governance? It's obviously important to our security arrangements with them. Thank you, Senator. Yes, uh, you're right. The uh, presidential election is coming up in 2019. It's critical. Mauritania has a history of autocratic governance. There has not been a transition from one democratically elected government to another in uh, Mauritania. So this upcoming election in 2019 is important. Uh, President Aziz has stated repeatedly that he intends to uh, step down at the end of his two terms, uh, as is uh, required by the Constitution. Um, and certainly, uh, if confirmed, uh, part of my dialogue with, uh, with the President and with uh, all the uh, figures in uh, Nouakchott will be to continue the dialogue that Ambassador Andre has had about the importance of that transition specifically and of democracy more broadly. Um, democracy is the foundation for a stable society. Uh, Mauritania, of course, is a strong partner on counterterrorism issues, but uh, my message will be, if confirmed, that 
uh, in order to maintain the stability that is important to Mauritania and important to the United States, um, it's critical that um, uh, human rights uh, be respected, all human rights, um, certainly including working on slavery and, and uh, actively uh, removing slavery and, uh, and all of its vestiges in Mauritania, but also that, uh, that democratic tr transition. Um, both Ms. Fight and I were in uh, Pakistan um, when Pakistan also had its first democratic transition from one uh, democratically elected government uh, that completed its full term and went on to uh, be replaced by another democratically elected government. So um, I've seen firsthand the importance that one single election can make to uh, a country's trajectory. Um, and that's certainly a message I'd be carrying to Nuwakchad if confirmed. Thank you. With regard to Angola, we met in my office before uh, President Lorenzo gave his inaugural uh, address. How do you expect things to change? I'm assuming uh, the effort will be to make sure that oil wealth is uh, spread more broadly uh, than in the past. I think all of any of us can remember after 38 years is uh, Dos Santos in that position. Uh, what's going to change there? Um, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, in, his in his inaugural address, President Lorenzo talked about diversifying the economy and developing the economy and getting it away from oil wealth, because I think he's recognizing that it's a difficult time to be dependent um, on oil when the prices are so low. At the same time, he addressed um, the need to combat corruption. He also addressed a need to have um, multiple voices and perhaps voices that don't agree with you speaking and being heard. So he made a number of comments. He looked at, um, he talked about education, addressing um, technical training for uh, Angolans, young Angolans, and he talked about his youth bulge and how to create mm -hmm. jobs and economy for those people. I think the truth will be six months from now, a year from now, how does he deliver on those? But as a US ambassador, I would certainly encourage him to do everything he can to deliver on those promises in his inaugural speech and also in his campaign speeches. Right. Thank you, Mr. Foote. Uh, low copper prices have really hobbled uh, a lot of uh, governments around, and Zambia is pretty reliant on that. How, how are they going to diversify? What can they do, and how can we help them? Well, you're exactly right, Senator, and thank you for that question. Uh, while prices have rebounded 35% so far this year and perhaps alleviated some of the urgency for structural reform, I think that's important for, for Zambia to undertake. Uh, diversification into sectors such as construction, infrastructure, agriculture, energy, and tourism will be important. Uh, a focus on fiscal management, uh, better transparent regulatory trade and, and other frameworks, and creating a predictable and level playing field to reduce uncertainty and attract businesses and private sector investors is going to be critical for them. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Reimer, we, when we spoke to my office, we talked about uh, there's not an issue right now in Mauritius or the Seychelles with a uh, any terrorist cells or security issues like that, but uh, strategically they're important places with regard to piracy. Seychelles is uh, in a serious, uh, well, a, a, a tough neighborhood, I guess, in that regard. Uh, what, what are we doing and what are they doing to combat pri piracy? How much of an issue is that? 
Uh, thank, you, thank you for that uh, question, Senator. Uh, in the recent past, uh, Seychelles has been an outstanding partner uh, in, in that area. We have provided uh, training to government officials, and in turn, the government of Seychelles has tried, convicted, and imprisoned more pirates than any other country in the world. Uh, thankfully, the, the scourge of piracy is greatly diminished, and so we do not have that problem uh, as we had before but we continue with an excellent security relationship with the Seychelles. It, uh, it is a very popular port of call for the U.S. Navy, and we have uh, done a little bit of uh, security assistance for, for the country as well. So we have, uh, we have a good record and an excellent ongoing relationship. Thank you. Senator Booker. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. Um, Mr. Donovan, can I just start with you real quick? Because I know Mauritania, Mauritania, along with uh, Mali, Niger, Chad, and uh, Burkina Faso is part of the G5 Sahel, which has uh, proposed a multinational counterterrorism and border security force, correct? And, and I guess that's why I found it sort of surprising to me um, that President Trump added Chad to the administration's travel ban list, um, uh, prompting the Chadian government uh, uh, and France, which has worked closely with Chad to and, and with us, frankly, um, to counter terrorism in the Sahel. And I've been one of those people sort of questioning this as France and the Chadian government have been asking the administration to reverse this determination. So I guess just a few questions, I'll throw them out there and, and let you respond. But what, if any, impact do you think that the travel ban designation regarding Chav will have on the G5's operational capacity and the U.S.'s ability to provide assistance uh, uh, to, to, a comp to its component of the forces? Uh, what extent do you think the designation will make other Sahel uh, countries more reticent to work with the United States? Uh, what factors do you think that enabled Mauritania to escape the similar designation? Um, what differentiates them um, from Chad, and do you believe that the criteria that the administration used to add Chad to the travel ban, that maybe Mauritania is at risk of being added to a travel ban in the future, and if so, what effect will that have in our security efforts? Thank you, Senator. Um, I'll be honest up front and say I won't be able to give a full uh, answer to that. I haven't been working this issue. I've been working economic issues. I still am working economic issues, um, so I'm not, I wasn't directly involved in any of the um, uh, the uh, preparation of the review of uh, all of the countries and their information sharing agreements. What I can tell you is that Chad is a critical counterterrorism partner to the United States. That's, that's absolutely true. They're, they're critical to the uh, success of the G5 uh, as, a, uh, as an organization that promotes, promotes not just um, security and, and uh, uh, counterterrorism cooperation among the five, but promotes development and, and growth and trade and all the sorts of things that we would like to see these five uh, Sahelian countries you know, work more closely to promote their own uh, growth and stability. Um, uh, what it means for, uh, for the G5 and our, our, our potential assistance to the organization in terms of uh, building up these joint forces, um, I, I don't believe that there is any direct uh, correlation, but I would have to get back to you with a more formal answer after um, I've looked into that and checked into it. Um, you know, the, as I understand the, the process that uh, was announced a few weeks ago, um, there is a, a clear set of steps for each of the countries that was designated to move forward in terms of uh, working on cooperation with the State Department, with the Department of Homeland Security on sharing of information. It's all about sharing of information. Um, 
certainly um, discussions are underway. I, I assume discussions are underway between Chad and um, uh, the U.S. government now about how to um, meet those requirements. Um, and certainly when I get to Mauritania, should I get to Mauritania, um, I will be working with the Mauritanian government to make sure that that form of cooperation on border security issues um, continues because uh, the last thing any of us would want to see is to have our um, um, you know, strong partnership be, uh, uh, be uh, partnership on counterterrorism issues be um, at all uh, harmed by any uh, failure to provide the information requested. Thank you, sir. Mr. Foote, um, in Zambia, 43% of the women aged 15 to 49 have experienced physical violence. Uh, when, when women live in fear of violence, when girls are married too young, taken out of school, um, a society faces tremendous long-term development challenges, not to mention the sheer um, evilness of, of to have that level of a percentage of your population uh, having experienced violence. It is abhorrent and um, unacceptable. And, and, I, and I, I just wonder in your role, um, uh, how, how do you, how are you planning on raising this as a serious concern and how do you think you can help improve Zambia uh, in meeting these challenges? Thank you, Senator. And I, I agree wholeheartedly that uh, gender-based violence uh, and violence against vulnerable populations is, is a terrible drag on societies. Uh, I've, I will uh, encourage and engage with the government and with civil society to empower civil society to hold its government accountable. Uh, additionally, I bring some experience from Afghanistan where we worked uh, in establishing and broadening women's shelters and associated family guidance centers uh, where we were able to sort of in the areas where we were working change the culture and and uh, make women and those who were vulnerable to or victims of gender-based violent, violence comfortable to come in and seek help and assistance and, and get shelter and assistance. So that's an issue that, that I will take seriously, and, and I welcome any further guidance on the issue. Well, I, I welcome you communicating with us about evidence-based um, programs that address this as something that we as a Congress might want to invest in. You have my commitment. Thank you very much. Um, this fight, uh, I'm, uh, a lot of talk about how much the Chinese are investing in uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, their presence there. We just talked about it in the, the base in Djibouti. It's just, it's, it's tremendous. And I'm wondering, when it comes to investment and trade, um, uh, how do you uh, assess China's role in the Angolian economy and, and giving us a fair shot in, as we continue uh, our economic relationship? Um, thank you, Senator. I believe that um, China's investment and presence in Angola is not, um, it's not a threat to the United States. Um, I think that uh, their relationship with Angola has um, gone on for a number of years. There's a, it's very much oil-based. Um, and China has become, I think, Angola's largest importer of oil at this point. At the same time, I think we have some shared interests in Africa in general, uh, the United States and China, and certainly China has helped in some humanitarian um, issues that we've been very concerned about. They donated um, or, or provided, I think, more than um, a million dollars to Ebola 
um, eradication in and treatments in uh, West Africa in 2014. They've also been involved in some of the other health issues. I think one thing that can happen, though, is with the U.S. there, um, we can help, um, first off, help Angola develop a better business environment, because I believe fundamentally that U.S. companies will compete very well and can win contracts um, against Chinese competitors because U.S. companies are known for high quality training and maintenance and training of your technicians. And so I think these are things that, um, again, I don't see uh, China as a competitor, but another, um, or sorry, not as a threat, but just another competitor for products and for exports in um, Angola. Thank you. Um, Mr. Reimer, given the time, I'm not going to ask you a question, but I will make two points. Uh, the first point is that um, uh, Chairman Flake is, uh, I know how hard of a worker he is in the United States Senate, and I know uh, he visits lots of hot spots. I doubt we'll be doing a CODEL uh, during your time there, but if he should choose to and believe that it's important, I will give full consideration to joining him. Um, and, you, you both are very welcome, Senator. And then, and then my last comment is very simply, congratulations. Uh, you'll have to tell me about this marriage thing, if it's something I should explore myself. And I do want to say that your wife, uh, you did not have any connections to New Jersey, sir, uh, but your wife is Italian, and we have the highest per capita Italian population in the entire United States of America in New Jersey, so she is welcome to visit any time. Thank you, Senator. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Senator Booker. Uh, thank you, all the witnesses in both panels today. Uh, we uh, really benefit from your, your testimony. And uh, as mentioned uh, by Senator Booker, we hope that you'll uh, stay in touch with us and, and certainly interact with our offices when uh, there are things that are needed. And uh, hopefully we'll uh, get to visit uh, uh, some of you, um, at least during the time. So we appreciate that. The record will remain open until the close of business today, uh, including for members to submit questions for the record. Um, we ask you to respond as quickly as you can, and your responses will be made part of the record. With the thanks to the committee, the hearing is now adjourned. <laughs>